Amen. Some of you, all of you, huh? If it's all of you, give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. We are thankful. We are His. I invite the ushers to come forward this morning and thank you for your faithfulness and your giving to the Lord. And may God bless you as you do. And if you have a Bible handy this morning after the basket passes you, if you would open with us uh, to 1 John chapter 2 here this morning. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 3 through 11 in this little series we're, we're doing called Joy-Filled Living. That's why John wrote this epistle for us. And I titled this morning's message, Set Aside, and what that really means for us, and to know that uh, we are His, and God has a glorious plan for your life, whether you know it today, or whether you're walking in it, or you've t not yet tapped into it, uh, you just need to know that there is a, a wonderful plan that God has for me and for you. But there's a contingency, you might say, to it. We must walk in it, and... Uh, We'll be talking about that this morning. So as you find that, uh, your place there in 1 John chapter 2, I'll invite you to stand with me this morning. If you're here and you don't own a Bible, but you'd like one, all you have to do is raise your hand and let our ushers know, and they will give you a copy of the New King James Version. That's the translation that we use here at Calvary Chapel, or it's to say we use from the pulpit here. There's all kinds of translations that get used, and they say the best translation is the one that you'll read, and I would concur with that thought. Um, I'm just a simple-minded person, and I need words that are simple, and, and the King James Version just doesn't do it for me. I like it, but uh, I feel like I'm watching King Arthur when I'm uh, reading it. So it's not how I speak, so I try uh, as hard as I can to read it. Uh, but uh, the New King James puts it in simple English that we can enjoy. We'll read this together, verses 3 through 11, and then take a moment here and pray. The, again, Apostle John is, is writing this. He says, Now by this we know that we know him, he's speaking of Jesus, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we love your word. Lord, we love studying it. We love learning about it, because as we do, we learn about you. And though, Lord, we fall so short, Lord, you rise so high. We see that though our sin is great, your grace is greater. And there's nothing, Lord, that we can do uh, that, God, you can't forgive us for. The only sin, Lord, that would ever send a person to hell is to reject you completely. Is, as your word says, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, today we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this place, that you would bring true conviction to our lives, that, Lord, you would cause us to see the error of our way, 
And that, Lord, you would draw us towards the light, that we would walk in the light as you yourself are in the light, and that we would enjoy fellowship with you, Lord, and one another. Lord, that's our hope for today. It fulfills your very word in our life to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, the, those are the, the two great commandments, which are really one, that just simply we would focus our life on loving you. Lord, everything else would fall into place. And so that's what we do today, Lord Jesus. We set our heart to loving you with our mind, asking you to, to change it, to transform it. We don't want to be conformed to the world any longer that's around us, but God, we want to be renewed, renewed in our mind by your Holy Spirit as we read your word. It's powerful, it's living, it's active, Lord. Cut away, Lord, those things in our life that aren't pleasing to us and to you, and Lord, replace them with more of you as we decrease today. God, may you increase in each of our lives, we pray, for the glory of God. We pray these things, and those of us who agreed said amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I, I love this book because it, to me it's, it's so simplistic with regard to God's plan and his desire for our life. You know, we've been walking through this each week. You know, John says, I write these things to you. You know, I write this, I write, I write, I write. And he, he stresses four things, you know, that he writes. In chapter one, he said, I write these things to you that your joy may be made full. That's really what he wants. He wants our joy in this life to be made full. And we're going to talk today about how we can specifically experience that joy. Uh, another reason he says that he writes this epistle for us is that in chapter 2, verse 1, what we studied last week is that so that we may not sin. He said, I write these to you, these things to you that you may not sin. And down there in, in verse uh, 26 or so, he says, again, he says, I write these things to you that you would know those who are seeking to deceive you, that in this world today, believe it or not, in churches, in pulpits, in in religion, there, there are those that set out purposely to deceive people from having just a simple love relationship with God, to know that God loves his, his children and that he wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And then he says at the very end, uh, the thing that most of us probably thoroughly enjoy about uh, reading this epistle in chapter 4, John writes, he says, I write these things to you so that you may know, he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life because I don't know if you're like me but you know have you ever blown it in life and questioned your salvation you know you don't have to raise your hand but I will I'll do it for you you know I, I have you know even after you become a believer that you go Lord maybe I've messed up too much maybe maybe there's no hope for me and that's the lie that the enemy wants each and every one of us to believe that there's no hope for us but God wants us to know as long as there's a heaven, as long as Jesus is on his throne in heaven, we have hope in this life, amen? And if we have hope in this life, that there's nothing that's too difficult for us that we can't overcome. You know, the Bible makes very clear that we can do all things. It didn't say some things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And yet, you know, we're in a battle each and every day to believe that. Are we going to believe the word of God? Are we going to, you know, take God at his word? And there's, you know, the argument of, of society, the world, uh, academia. I mean, remember the Gnostics, you know, they reached a place where they just believed that, you know, true faith had nothing to do with actions whatsoever. And that's really what chapter two is about. You know, they just believed that, you know, salvation was based on knowledge. It wasn't who you know, it's what you know. And that's an unfortunate thing because there's many today that believe that very thing. But the Bible makes clear that, you know, probably the most educated, you know, of any, you know, 
personalities or persons would be the devil himself in the sense that does he know the word of God? You go, absolutely. And does he use the word of God against us? And we've seen it from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden till, till now. He'll twist the word of God. And again, to take truth and mix it with a lie makes it what? Always, 100% of the time, makes it a lie. Truth mixed with a lie is always a lie. And but yet he tricks us and we, we buy into it. And next thing you know, that we're on a path that is leading us to a place of destruction in our lives because we're walking away from the very one who is calling us unto himself. And so John, you know, here he is at the end of his life. And I don't know if you caught this today or not, but it sounds like John makes a confusing statement, doesn't it? And he says, no new commandment I write to you, right? Just the old commandment, you know, I'm telling you about. And then he turns in the very next sentence, he goes, but a new commandment, I'm, I'm telling you. It sounds like when you're talking to someone who's a little bit on the aged side, if you know what I mean. And you just sometimes go with the flow. Well, John isn't because he's aged. He's, you know, pushing 100 here. And uh, like I said, when you're pushing 100, you call anybody little children. They could be 90 years old. You go, ah, my little baby child, you know, and you go... Um, but he wants us to know some things because the, to kind of put this in perspective for you, it's about A.D. 95. Jesus, you know, was crucified in about A.D. 33. Okay, so we're talking, you know, what, how many years? You know, 60 years. And if you study scripture, you'll find that the church by this time, most of the first generation believers those that were there, you know, when Jesus walked on the earth and the ones that walked with the apostles and knew the apostles, got to meet them, got to go to church services, you know, where they taught, uh, they have, they've died. This is the now second and third generation of believers. And they're not interested in the truest sense in walking with God. Uh, they like their religion. And there's things that should speak to each and every one of us today that have walked with God for a long time because you can start going through the motions. It's one of the things that, you know, I worry about constantly, you know, in life for myself, for you, because I see it in scripture. It's, you can't read the Bible and not see that, again, as Jesus declares, he said, you know, in the book of Revelation, you've lost what? Your first love, the church at Ephesus. You think of the church that Paul planted, that Timothy would follow along and minister to. I mean, some of the greats, you know, in, in the Christian faith. And then within, you know, 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they've lost their first love. How does that happen? How, how do you walk away? Well, just look at marriage today, because really what we're talking about, it's really a marriage relationship. And so the invitation of God is to constantly come back to your first love, is to fan that flame constantly. And so John is writing in such a way, he's going, I want you to know these things. This is why I'm writing to you, because I want your joy to be made full. I want you to know that you don't have to sin. I want you to know that, yes, there's people that are going to come along to deceive you, but here's what you can know, you know, to refute that. And, and I'm, ultimately, I'm writing so that you would know you'd have this confidence that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that you can know that you have eternal life. Because if you truly know that and you believe that and that dominates your life, it will change the way that you live your life. And that's what he's declaring here because now this group that he's speaking to, like I said, they're not really interested in church like their parents were. And we're finding that today in our world. Like I said, it's one of the, the struggles that I have. You, Jesus loves the church, amen? The, the church is his wife. It's his bride. You know, and you see bumper stickers periodically, you know, hey, I have no problem with Jesus, but, you know, I have a problem with the church, you know? They're, they're not into church, but they're into Jesus. And you go, really, in the truest sense, you can't be. 
And that's what John is saying, that they're connected together. It's not this thing of, you know, that it's just convenient, you know, when we feel like coming together. You know, church is supposed to be, it, and, it, and for many it's not. But, it, but for those of you who, that it is, you, you know where I'm coming from in this. You go, there's a blood that's, that's thicker than water, right? I mean, we talk about, you know, family is, you know, first and, you know, then the world should come second. But you talk about the blood of Jesus, that, that supersedes every other type of blood, amen? And some of you are actually closer to people in the body of Christ than you are your own flesh and blood. And I see some of you nodding because you get that. And, and that's a beautiful thing about God's love in our life. That, that we can share this kind of relationship. It's what he wants us to have, is that kind of love. That, you know, this isn't a, because, I mean, they're in the world today because when people do it, we church hop. I mean, you know, I was counseling with someone last week, and, and, and I'd asked them, you know, I'd, I'd seen them for a season of time here at our church, and then they were gone, and they were back, and then they were gone. And I said, so, you know, where have you been? And, and they named seven churches, in the last four years that they've attended in town. And it wasn't, they were all good churches, really good churches. And I'm going, why aren't, why, aren't you pla- why aren't you planted? Why aren't you planted in church? And it's like, oh, well, you know, this happened at this church, and I didn't like what the pastor said at this church, and, you know, I didn't like, you know, and I said, so what, what happened here? Oh, nothing, you know. I'm going, well, something had to happen. I mean, you just like, you have a home and then all of a sudden, you know, you just get up and walk away from it. And I guess that happens because it's really only one of the reasons that we biblically can get divorced, right? Adultery or what? Abandonment. Somebody just literally walks away from the relationship. And so John, he's writing to us and he's going, I want you to understand some things. There's, there's a life that, that God has called us to. And there's a life that he wants you to enjoy. And so when it talks about the concept of joy here in particular, you know, like I said, now it's not just what are the four major topics of it. But today I want you to think about when John says, I write these things to you so that your joy can be made full. Well, then he begins to explain it to us. And as you, as you look at this, you know, there in verse 7, he, in chapter 1, Go back there and he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of, of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. So, so the invitation is to walk with God. We can experience joy-filled living as we walk in the light. Does that make sense to you? That, that, that's how you experience joy-filled living. You walk in the light. You come into a relationship with God. You open your heart to him and you say, you know, and you recognize this if you were ever in darkness and then you opened your heart to Jesus, you went, man, I was in the dark. And man, when I, opened, when, when I came to Christ, what did he do? He opened up my eyes. Man, he turned the light on and things that didn't make sense all of a sudden make sense. And I realized just how corrupt I am without God. And that in him, there, it's perfect. I mean, this illumination, you know, that things become clear. So we're not, we're not taken by the world. We're not deceived any longer. We, we can see clearly now. Like I said, all the things that are happening in the world today, is it happening by accident or is it happening by design? Well, if you really understand the Bible, you'd go, nothing happens by accident. There is no such thing as a coincidence. Everything happens by God's sovereign design. God is fully aware of every hurricane that's, that's happening. He's fully aware of wars and rumors of wars that are breaking out in the world today. You know, and, and yet we can get all twisted and sideways about it. But yet if we're 
walking with him and we're walking in the light. We recognize these things and we realize, hey, there's a plan and there's a purpose. We're here for, as Esther would say, for such a time as this. There's a reason that you live today. And to begin to recognize that and tap into it. Walk with God. Enjoy God. Enjoy his word. You know, the second thing that we see there is in verses 8 and 9. We experience joy-filled living as what? As we confess our sins. And there's something good about confession. Confession is good for the soul. Amen. When we confess our sins, it says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we saw last week in verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 2, John tells us how and why we know that we can be forgiven. And that's so important because if you don't know that you're forgiven, you're going to tend to go backwards instead of forwards because you feel like, ah, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you've ever dieted before. You ever, anybody ever diet? You don't raise your hand on this. This is a terrible confession to make. I'll just make it for you. Uh, you go, uh, I'm not going to eat this anymore. I'm not going to eat, you know. There's a chocolate cake sitting on the counter, and you know I'm not going to eat in that chocolate cake. You know I'm I'm circling that thing like a hawk. I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake. I'm not going to eat any of that chocolate cake. I'm not going to eat it. And I am I'm so good. I am. I mean I have convinced myself. I have talked myself up. And all of a sudden, then that little voice in your head, just try the icing, just a little tiny piece. You don't have to eat the cake. Leave the cake alone. That's right. Leave the cake alone. Just try a little icing. And you think after a while, yeah, I could have just a little bit of, bit of icing. So you have a little bit of icing. And then all of a sudden, that voice gets really loud. You go, loser, loser, weakling. I knew you couldn't do it. And you go, is that yourself or is that the devil? Could be both, you know. And you go, and what, so what do you end up doing? You know, not you, me. But you go, so you have a slice, right? So then you have a slice and then condemnation comes, right? Now understand this, and I shared this with you condemnation always leads you away from Jesus, right? When the devil condemns you, it makes you want to go away from God. But when the Holy Spirit is convicting us, it's always drawing us to God to experience his forgiveness in our life. So the devil condemns us, and what do we do? So you have that one piece of cake, and then you go, the devil's favorite word, by the way, is tomorrow. Do you know that? It's always tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. So then what do you do? You slam that whole cake. You got chocolate all over your face. You know, you went from, you could have just enjoyed one slice, but you went way over the top. And you feel it afterwards, right? I mean, the guilt, the shame, there's just, there's no, you know, and, and that can happen in anything. That's something, you know, somewhat innocent in life and tasty at that. But uh, so John says, you know, he wants us to know that why we can be forgiven, as I shared this with you last week, because we have an advocate. We have an attorney. You know, we have someone who defends us, you know, some of us more than others, night and day. He's on retainer, and he's before the very throne of God. He's going, Dad, I got this. His father is the judge. Jesus is the attorney, and he's saying, you know, they're covered. They're, it's paid in full. It's, it's been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why then the, the second thing John says, that, so we can know that we're forgiven, is that word propitiation, is that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God that was against me and against you, so that now God can look. I mean, this is, isn't this an amazing thing? That when God sees you, he sees you and me in perfect righteousness, as if you'd never sinned. Justified, that, again, theological word, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And to be that clean, and I'm talking about, you could have committed the, the worst possible sin known to man. And you go to God, and you confess it, and you truly repent of that sin. And you come back in five minutes, and you go, hey God, remember you know, what I was just confessing to you? And God's going, what are you talking about? I'm looking at your record here, and it's, 
it's, it's clean. It's perfect. There's nothing on it. That's hard for me and you to comprehend because, see, we are extremely judgmental, okay? We, we, we could play God really easy, you know, and we would judge everybody else by their actions, but we would judge ourselves by what? Our intentions, you know, because we know that inside we're all good people. It's the rest of the world that's all messed up, amen? You know, you go, no, but we, we get it. We, we need an attorney. We need to understand and know and to grow in the realization that what Jesus did on the cross is, is enough. And when we grow in that, and that's why John's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you would know this and you would grow in it. You would continue to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so, so powerful. And yet, again, what happens in our life when we start to realize that? You know, when you and I come to the place that we know that we're forgiven, that we really know that we're forgiven, what happens? Do you want to continue in sin? You go, no. Do you remember falling in love? If you've fallen in love. You know, I remember when I met my wife. And I remember falling in love with her. Because I think about this relationship, that because marriage is, is, a, is a portrait of our relationship with God. Marriage is the pinnacle of, of human relationship because it's really a reflection of the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how we're to interact with one another. And I remember when I fell in love with her and I, I wanted to know her. I mean, I wanted, you know, the word in the Greek language is gnosko. And that, that's what, what John is speaking of this, you know, here in, in 1 John 2, 3, he says, by this we, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know, that word gnosko, that's not knowledge, you know, by academic means. It doesn't mean that you picked up a book or you studied the Bible or you took commentary and you read it. The word gnosko is an intimate word. It means to know face-to-face -face as, as a man knows a woman. It doesn't necessarily mean sexually. It can, but it means intimately. It means to know each other. It means to look each other in the eye. And, and as, you know, Solomon would say, you know, to the Shulamite, you know, that I've studied you that there, there's, there's a, a desire to commune with that person, to have a relationship with them and get to know them. And, and I, I couldn't wait to be around my wife. I couldn't wait to see her. I couldn't wait to talk to her. I couldn't wait to hear her voice. You know, yesterday we had June's, uh, Ceruto, Larry's mom's uh, memorial here at the church, and it was so sweet. You know, uh, Larry Jr. put together a video that was from one of her birthdays, I think it was her 70th birthday, and they took live clips from, from her, and you got to hear her voice. And she, June, if you knew her, she just had one of the sweetest voices. She just had one of those voices you like to talk to, you know, it's just soothing. And, 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 I, and I remember, you know, wanting to hear my wife's voice and, and being around her and you know and you think about that in a sense of a marriage that's the kind of relationship that God desires that we have with him because it's a relationship that he desires with you and with me that word gnosko to know face to face that we would commune with God and, and God's made a way see we were enemies of the cross we didn't have a relationship with God but he chose us and I'll tell you what it, it's 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 an amazing thing to be chosen by somebody you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I need you, or, you know, or I want you, or whatever, but to say, but I choose you. And God has chosen you in Christ. He, he has a plan for your life. There's a purpose for your existence, a relationship that he wants to enjoy with you. 
And, and my hope is that as you study through this, that it speaks to you because he's saying, again, if we, if we now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know, and like I said, I, I think of you know, a husband and wife, 1 Corinthians seven thirty four puts it like this, says there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the, of the world and how she may please her husband. So again, that she wants to please her husband by doing what? Things that you know, were pleasing to him, that she would study him just like he would study her. You know, I, I love the fact that uh, you know, I, I know all my wife's favorite things, colors, clothes, shoe size, you know, everything. Um, and, and I, and I like knowing those things about her. And I, I like, you know, when I go places, she dominates my thought process because she is in every single file in my mind when it comes to the decisions or the choices that I make in life. Um, it was really funny. We were on vacation. You know, we decided to walk the streets of San Luis Obispo, um, Looking back, it wasn't the smartest thing to do, but hindsight being 2020. But I said, hey, you know, we've never walked uh, all the streets of San Luis Obispo before. We always just kind of go to our favorite place. So why don't we, because we've got time, we're going to be here all week. Let's just start at one side of the downtown and we'll go through, you know, all the shops. Well, there was a lot of shops. And there was a lot of shops that had stuff that my wife liked. And I was telling our staff, I said, you know, we were blessed with a, a, this trip. Uh, it didn't cost us anything to where we stayed, but we spent more money than had we went and rented a hotel. That's what happens when you don't have to spend any money. You go, you have my wife, she collects $5 bills for some reason. Her aunt, I think somebody got her to do this. And every time we get a $5 bill, she'd put it away. So we'd pay cash for everything when we go on vacation. So I'd be going through my wallet and I'd be someplace and I only have $5 in my wallet. And it was a five and it's gone. You know, I'm like, uh, so, sorry, I can't pay for this. Got to put it back. You know, uh, why? Well, my wife took the last $5 that I had because it was a $5 bill. Why would she do that? You know, uh, because it's for vacation, you know. So we're, we're paying, you know, and walking along all these streets, you know, but I'm taking her to these places because I know I go, hey, honey, there's a store over here. I saw it. I, you'll like it. There's a store over here. And sure enough, I was 100% right. And I'm 100% poor today because of it, because she found something in every single one of those stores, you know, but, but uh, it was just one of those things where, like I said, I, I inside, though, it, it blessed me and it made me happy because I was going, okay, I, I understand her taste and her likes, and, and so I know I can, I can say, hey, you know, I saw this thing over here, and, you know, do you like it? And she, oh, yeah, you know, you know, I love it. And to have that kind of relationship, it reminds me always of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. He wants to lead us into places. He wants to bless our lives. You, do you realize that we serve a blessing God? He's not trying to withhold things from us. The only reason God withholds things from us is because those things usually get in the way of our relationship with God. We say, oh, God, if you just blessed me with this, I, you know, I would love you and serve you. And God's going, yeah, right. We'd never see you again. And I, and I know it's true because I see it in people's lives. They go, oh, I'm going to, you know, get this thing and, you know, and I'm going to use it for the glory of God, you know. And next thing you know, they're gone, you know. They're out using their toys, you know, and, and yet, and then it doesn't even dawn on them because they don't, it, it, because it's a lie and they don't even realize that they said it. You know, somebody else might've heard it, but they, they don't even realize it because that's the deception of the lie. And so all of a sudden it's like, you go, oh man, you know, 
What does God want from us? And like I said, the third thing that we see as John talks about, you know, this joy-filled living that he wants us, and it's why he writes this book, you know, it occurs as we walk in obedience to God's word. I don't know if you really understand that, the way that, that God would have you and I understand it, that to experience joy, John writes, as I write these things to you, that your joy may be made full, that the fullness of our joy is consistent with our obedience to the word of God. Because you think about the fruit of God's spirit is love. What's the second thing that we see? It's manifestation of his love is in joy. There's joy in your life. And that joy has nothing. Like I said, happiness has to do with your circumstances. Joy has to do with Jesus. You know, uh, I think it was Mike Butler was telling me about, did a, he did a hospital visitation a few weeks ago. We got a call and uh, I was out of the office and I asked Mike, I said, Mike, can you run to the, the hospital? And he did. And the person was involved in an accident where they actually lost an arm. They had, a, they were, they had an amputation. And, and I think was the, Mike was the, the other person that was with him was killed, right? And, and a friend was killed in the accident. And, but this person was a believer. Mike said he walked in and he goes, and the guy was like worried about everybody else. And there was still a joy that, when I say worried, it was concerned is a better word, that his his thoughts were about other people. It wasn't, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? My arms are gone. You know, Mike said it was, humble. it was a humbling experience to see somebody that in the midst of tragedy could have joy like that. Because, because Jesus is immutable. He doesn't move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not you know, subject to change without notice. And so we can have comfort in the fact that, that I mean, he is rock solid. And we don't have to be moved. And it's like Paul would say, so none of these things move me. And, and then we look at, you know, when you think about joy-filled living, you know, our obedience then becomes a witness not only to the world, but to ourselves. I mean, people recognize, you know, that, that we have a problem in the church today. You know, the church is called to influence the world, but unfortunately the world we can see is influencing the church. Because we're taking on the culture, you know, uh, the things that the world is into. If you just look at the church, you go, people look just in the church just like they do in the world. And it's not because we've determined to live holy and separate lives. And it's really the word I, I want you to think about today. You know, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, okay? Your whole body, you know, not just your mind, not just your soul, but your body as well. Okay, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's, basically, when he says your reasonable service, he says, in light of what Jesus has done for you, it's, it's the reasonable thing to do. I mean, it's just like it should be obvious, you know, that because Jesus went to a cross and died for you and for me, we should want to live for him. Amen. That, that's what Paul's saying. And he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what we we're saying here is, you know, we're going to begin to love what Jesus loves and we're going to hate the things that, that God hates. Because it's no longer me going, oh, I think I'd like that. Uh, you know, it's what would God like? And a lot of times, you know, if you've been walking with God for a long time, that thought goes right out the window. But when you were a new believer, man, we were really cautious about that, right? I mean, we prayed about everything. It's like, Lord, is this what you'd want? Would you want me to do that to my body? Would you want me to put this on my body? Would you want me to put this in my body? 
You know, is this something that you, you know, because that, that's that sensitivity that Jesus wants each and every one of us to have towards God. Where Jesus himself said, my food is to do what? The will of my Father who sent me. And Paul said, you know, my life is no longer my own, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, is to have that kind of understanding and awareness. See, obedience in the sense doesn't make us Christians. It just simply proves that we are. Now, because we're not saved by works. See, it doesn't produce it in our life. It just simply proves it out. Selfless obedience. I think that's what marks Jesus' life. Compliance to the word of God. You know, as James would say, faith without works is what? It's dead, yeah. You know, but he says in verse 4, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. What if John was here today and he said that from this pulpit? How, how, would, how do you think John would be received? You know, if John you know, stood here today and he says to me and to you, he says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Would you agree with him? I mean, this is, this is the Apostle John. You know, this isn't Pastor Mike saying, you know, I could say, you know, just if I stood up here and said, he who says, I know Jesus and doesn't keep his commandments, he's a liar. And everybody would start going, oh, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. There's, Lord, I'm, about, I'm surrounded by a bunch of liars. You know, I'm not a liar. They are. I guess that just makes me a liar. It says, and the truth is not in him. You know, the Gnostics are living proof that you can know everything and not be saved. Because they knew, they, they said they knew more than Jesus. You know, and you go, wow, that's, that's pretty profound. And yet, that word know is what? It's the word gnosko. It's speaking of intimate knowledge. You know, Jesus in Luke six forty six, he says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? See, the false teachers said, it's not what you do, it's what you believe that gets you to heaven. But you and I both know that it's not what you know, right? It's who you know that gets you into heaven. But the Gnostics twisted it around the other way. They're going, ah, the flesh is evil. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. So really, it's just about worshiping God with your mind. And there's many in the church that believe that today, that it's just what you believe. But a belief that isn't practice is worthless. It's a worthless faith. It does nothing for you. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.7. He says, you know, always, he said, the end times are going to be marked by this. People who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. They just like to learn. They love, you know, give me Greek words. Tell me the Hebrew, the Aramaic, you know. Tell me this and this and this. You go, but, you know, does it impact our life when we walk out of the doors of the church? Do we even remember what was said in a sermon? Do we go home and, and seek to look for opportunity to apply it? Because one day, like I said, we're going to stand before God. You're not going to stand before me. I'm not going to stand before you. But you're going to stand before the Lord. You go, did you? That's why I said, you know, do you, when you come to church, do you even bring a Bible? I mean, you know, I, and people, well, I just, you know, I, I, I study on my own. Well, that, that in and of itself demonstrates a lack of, respect for authority, God-given authority in your life. 
Because we are to what? We're, we are to submit to the authorities, all kinds of authorities, to the police. You know, when the police car is coming behind you and he's got his lights on, you pull over, right? You don't speed up and try to outrun him. And hopefully he's not after you. He's just wanting to get to, you know, an event. You, you heed that. In government, same thing. In your employment, in marriage and family, you know, we want our children to live, you know, in cooperation with us. And so we understand hierarchy and structure. But to not do the things that you're being asked to do by those that are in authority is rebellion. And you can't, you can't Jesus your way out of it and say, well, I just do it on my own. You go, and so I, I remind you each week, I go, hey, bring your Bible. And some of you are obstinate. you not bringing it. I don't care. It's just, you know, it's not, I study at home. And I'm going, okay. But, I, you know, again, but sometimes it's not about even bringing it. What it's doing is revealing more of the attitude that's in you. You know, because your attitude will determine your altitude with God. And that's, that's really the most important thing. You know, is, is he's going, man, I want you to be a student of the word. I want you, like I said, the Holy Spirit's here and he's moving. And to capture those things. Because I, I know as I'm, as I'm studying and as I'm reading and I'm laying in bed at night, there's times where, man, I'm thinking something. I go, oh, I'll remember that in the morning and I don't get up and write it down. And guess what? It's gone. It's gone. And it's so frustrating. I frustrate myself. And so to hopefully help you avoid that frustration, because I know whether you write it down or not, you're accountable. So it's, it's more important that you get it, you know, because I understand that, again, we're going to be judged by this book. This, this word, God is going to judge my life and your life. And so it's so important that we take the time to listen to it, to take it to heart. Verse 5 says, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Because our life has become a love song. Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, he says, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples. Indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That word abide, if you're a note taker, write this down. Abide. What does it mean? It means to settle and make yourself at home. So Jesus said, if you abide me and my word abides in you. So what it's saying is, are you settled in your relationship with Jesus? Is his word settled in you? Have you settled down? You know, have you ever, have you ever when you were a kid, did you ever open up a box of cereal and see that there was very little in the box? And then you looked on the box, says this box is sold by weight, not by volume. And you're going, wait, why did they put it in such a big box then? If it's only going to have four ounces, why did you put it in a big, humongous box and make me think that there was a lot of cereal in it? Because it wasn't there. And Jesus is saying, is it settled? What's there? Is there depth to it in that relationship? Verse 6 says, he who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. And how did Jesus walk? <laughs> let's, let's read this really slow. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. My question to me and to you this morning, how did Jesus walk on this earth? And do you know that answer? Because that's the requirement. Again, he who says that he abides, if you're saying, oh yeah, I'm settled in my relationship with God. In what area? You know, whatever you're up on, you're up on, you know. But are you settled completely? Jesus was perfect in every way, shape, and form, right? 
in his thoughts, in his words, in his deeds, his actions, his emotions, every fiber of his being was for the glory of God. And he says, he who abides, he who is settled, settled in Jesus ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus, I know we would say, walked in complete surrender, in humility. I mean, washing people's feet, serving, doing what nobody else would want to do. He, he never said, it's not my job. You know, how many times I've heard that? It's not, it's not my job. It's not my gift. It's not my calling. It's not my responsibility. Did you ever hear Jesus say that? And he says, we should walk like he walked. And you go, man, we could spend all day on this one, huh? Like I said, Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. And the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So then John writes in verse 7, in what I was sharing with you, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. It's not a new one. It's the old one. But it's done in a different way. So it isn't, in a sense, a new commandment. In the Old Testament, God said to do what? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And you didn't really have a picture other than the law. But in the New Testament, we have a new way. We have it in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got a model that we can follow. And that's the invitation in our life is to come into relationship with him, to abide in him, to be settled in that relationship, gnosko, to know him. And then the ultimate thing, you know, as you read this in verses 8 through 11, and then we'll close, he says, and again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What he's saying is, you know, it's obvious in the world people hate one another, don't they? I mean, I have to do is turn on the television today. North Korea hates South Korea. North Korea hates the United States. You know, Russia, you know, they're not in a love relationship, you know, with us. And I mean, just da-da-da-da-da. And he's going, you know, that's how you used to react. That, that was the old you. The new you is, is what? Walks like Jesus walked. What did Jesus do towards his enemies? Jesus had enemies, and Jesus loved perfectly, but what did he do? He loved them. He loved them in spite of themselves. And you go, well, do we do that? So he's talking about, John here is talking about a lack of love in the body of Christ. Remember, his readers are second and third generation, like I told you. They, they, they didn't walk with Jesus. They, they didn't see him personally. They didn't see the apostles who had been touched by Jesus' life. They were seeing the disciples of the apostles, again, second, third generation here. They didn't know that Jesus loves his bride, that he loves her so much that he did what? That he'd die for her, that he'd make sure that his bride's taken care of. You know, the last few years, you know, because of health issues, I mean, that's been a dominant thought in my life, is making sure my wife was taken care of. I go, something happens, you know, Though I would have thought, you know, when I was in our 20s when we got married, that I would have made sure that she was taken care of. We had life insurance, and we've always laughed about it because I've always said, hey, Lee, I'm better off dead than alive. 
I'm worth more dead than alive. So the only way that you're going to get the things ultimately, if it was money, it would be, I have to die for you to get it. And if that's what it took, then that would be okay. And then she'd get mad at me. That is not what I, what I want. And I go, I'm not saying that's what you want. I go, but you know, that's really, I just want to make sure that you know that's taken care of. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, you don't have to worry about the house. You don't have to worry about cars. You don't have to worry about anything. You're, you'll be taken care of. Just make sure that your new husband likes cycling, okay? Because that's the only thing I have to give him is my bike. And so, and if he doesn't want it, please give it to Bill McClure. And, uh, and that's really like in my, you know, things. I only have one thing, I have a bike. So I said, give it to Bill and uh, make sure that uh, Bill gets my bike. And... But it's one of those things, when you, when you love your bride, you want to make sure she's taken care of. Jesus wants to make sure you're taken care of. You know, I shared that yesterday at June's memorial service. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that you can be with me. Do you realize that, that Jesus loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you? And you know what? We would rather have people die than live with them. And you see the, the body of Christ today, and you see the hatred. I mean, you know, we would, we'd be lying through our teeth to say that it's not there, because it is there. And John, he's writing about it just, you know, 60 years after Jesus' resurrection. It's such a, a phony thing, you know, because in public it's, you know, but behind closed doors with that select few, man, that, that you know, again, what does the Bible say? That Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Do you know this about them? You know, you go, oh, man, dividing, being divisive. You know, and so I ask you today, you know, as we close, do you love the church? You know, you know I remember John Corson said, you know, they, they, someone said to him one time, he says, you know, I love the church. And they said, well, of course, John, you love the church. You're the pastor of the church. And he said, no, I'm the pastor of the church because I love the church. There's a difference. It's I love the bride of Christ. It's I, I love that God wants people to be saved, that he wants them to grow in the likeness of Christ. Love covers a multitude of sin. Jesus' love covered that for me and you, right? Is that what we see happening in the body of Christ? Man, I've seen some of the ugliest things where instead of someone covering other person's sin, is they expose it, not to them. They didn't, Matthew 18, go to them. They just went to everybody else. And, and it was, you know, they, in, their, in their mind, this is the deception of darkness, is that they went, well, what I said was true. That isn't the issue. Was it necessary? Was it profitable? Was it edifying? Or did you look at the end result of it, and you've got to live with yourself, and you've got to stand before God one day, as you go, what you did was you just created great division. And, you, and you, in your mind, you go, well, I was just telling the truth. And you go, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't that it was true. Could God hang every one of us out to dry with truth? But he says, if we come to him and we confess our sin, he goes, I forgive your sin as far as the east is from the west. And I what? I remember it no more. Justified. So that, that's what happens. Is See, if you haven't really grown in your relationship, I don't care how many years, you can work at a church. It doesn't make any difference. But if you've really grown in that, that understanding of who Jesus is and he set you free and you understand that forgiveness, you go, man, who am I? I it's easy to get, to get the log out of my eye before I try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye because I've been forgiven much. 
And as Jesus said, where much has been forgiven, much is required. And those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. So maybe we just need to recognize our sin more that we'd be forgiven more. Because Christianity has a high standard. Would you agree? This is the highest of standards. And like I said, the children and the grandchildren of these first Christians, they didn't want to be different. So I want you to think of this as we close today. You know, the believers were called saints, right? When was the last time, you know, that you told someone you were a saint? But you are. And you know how come I know that? Because God calls you a saint. You are a saint. You know, you don't have to go to the store and buy like St. Peter, unless your name's Peter and you want that for yourself. Or they were a St. Michael. You know, I could get one of those. You put it around your neck and you go and you could wear it with pride because you are. But not because of who you are, but because of who he is in you. Amen. Growing in that knowledge. It's from the Greek word, the word saints, though, is from the Greek word hagios, means to be set apart. And the intent of the word is set aside for the sole use of God, that which belongs to God. You know, the pots and the pans in the temple were said to be holy. They were just pots and pans, right? Why were they considered holy? Because they were set apart to be used where? In the temple for the work of God. You and I, church, have been called to holiness. We are hagios today. We have been set apart to God to live for him. And, and maybe you don't get that yet. And my hope and my prayer today as we close is that you begin to understand that, that you've been set apart to God, to live wholly to him, not to look to the world any longer. You get your marching orders from Jesus. You get the strength from him and through the power of his word and the person of the Holy Spirit living in and through your life that you and I would live differently. See, we're to be different. We're to be set apart for the use of God. That we'd say, God, and again, and this is where the rubber really meets the road in our life, is that confession needs to be, God, I'm just being selfish. If, if, you're, if you're calling the shots in your life, you've got to ask yourself, are you truly walking in the light as he is in the light himself? Are you truly his? Because if you belong to him and you're truly his, then he's calling the shots in your life. He's dictating the course of your day because my life and your life is no longer our own. It belongs to him. And that can only come out of what? Gnosko. Intimate fellowship. I don't think she'd mind if I, I said this, but you know, I, I met with Monica last week to talk about pictures for the fair. And so we were just talking about all kinds of stuff and just had enjoyed a conversation. One of the things that I've always appreciated about her, though, is... She'll always say to me, she goes, you know, Pastor Mike, really what I want to do in my life, I just want to please God. I just, you know, I, I don't know all the things. I don't have answers for everything that's going on and where he wants me to go. But, but I do know this. When I'm praying, I just pray, Jesus, I just want to please you. And I, I, that just humbles me because that's so simplistic. And that's exactly what Jesus wants for my life and from your life. That invitation to know him, to walk with him, and to say, my life's not my own, that it belongs to you. And, and, and again, there's no condemnation, but it's, it's a joy in that relationship that you just go, wow, this is so sweet. So sweet, the love that God has for us. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to do the things that I see Jesus doing. That's why we need to be in the word, right? That's why you need to have a Bible with you. You know, I mean, I think you guys appreciate Larry Vasquez, one of our elders and our worship pastor. I mean, when he's here in, in service, he's sitting right there in the front row and, 
and he's got his Bible open, you know, and he is plowing through scripture. We'll talk about stuff and I'm like going, Larry, where did you get that? He goes, well, when you said this, the Holy Spirit quickened that. And, and I'm going, well, why don't you like stand up and tell that to me? That was good. I would have shared it, you know. He's like, well, I don't want to interrupt the service, you know. And I go, but man, that was so awesome. And I received so much from him. But here he's going, no, Pastor Mike, you said this. And I'm going, that's not what I said. And he's like, no, but you said this. And it, and it made me think of this. And da-da-da-da-da. And I looked up this. And, and that's what iron sharpening iron. That's the kind of relationship. But that's what I've loved, you know, with some of us. You know, I, mean, I shared this second service, you know, last week. There was just this sweet dynamic in second service from when they went to pray. And when this time that we give, you know, one another to pray, that the Holy Spirit just moved. We, we had a, a young girl who gave her life to the Lord before the service ever started. She came forward. And I was like, we well, can't do that. We haven't even done the altar call yet. How are you, how you going to get, you know. But it was just this beautiful thing. Just the Holy Spirit was moving. And maybe that was because you guys were here first service and you were praying. You know, but we're going, but engage, interact. And I love the fact that some of you, I mean, man, you have taken that and you have blessed this pastor so much because you have made such an impact in other people's lives. Because I have the luxury, I get to hear it. You know, they come to me and they Pastor Mike, I just want you to know I got healed. And I said, well, when did it happen? They well, in service. They, I, 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 I broke through. I was nervous, but I said, can you pray for me in this area? And they go, and I left and, and God, he delivered me. And I was set free, and they go, I've been in bondage, you know, for, for decades. And that to think that God is doing that kind of thing here in this church, and it's because many of you, you're going, I love the church. And if you don't love this church, I'd encourage you to leave this church and go find a church that you can love. Because I'd rather have a small church of people that just loved one another than have just a bunch of numbers and then have people bickering all the time and fighting over, oh, you know, if I was the pastor, I'd do this, and, you know, I'd do this, how I'd do it, and this, that. You go, go start a church. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. If we've got it all figured out, go. Go into all the world. Just go plant it somewhere else. You know, go to, well, what, what, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the joy of knowing you. And Lord, I pray that as we study through this book that it would bring joy to our life. You've written it to us so that our joy could be made full. And we know that the fullness of joy comes as we walk in the light, as you yourself are in the light. And it comes in joy to us as we confess our sins. And, Lord, as we recognize that our sins are forgiven, that, uh, Lord, you, for that very purpose, came and you lived and you died and rose again for us. God, we are so blessed that our joy can be made full as we simply walk in obedience to your revealed word. And so, Lord, make us students of your word. Help us to, when we open up the Bible, say, it's not, I'm just not trying to get a history lesson here, but Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm reading the Bible today looking for marching orders. I'm going to believe that what I read today, you want me to do. And I confess I can't do it on my own. I can't do it without you. And so, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you, fill me overflowing with your spirit. Give me your strength so that I can bring you joy today, that I can make you happy by the way that I live my life. And not because I have to, but because I want to. I want my life to be a love song to you. I'm a, I want my worship to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Lord, help me to live a life that's pleasing to you, that's reflected then 
Lord, in loving people, the lost, the saved alike, allowing the life of Jesus to flow through our lives. For the glory of God, Lord, we pray these things today in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We're blessed you're here this morning. And uh, as we uh, open up the word this morning to 1 John chapter 2, I'll invite uh, the ushers to come forward this morning as well. And we'll receive our morning's tithes and offerings and giving of all sorts. And uh, that includes prayer requests and praise reports. And, and there, <laughs> I have one of those. Definitely an age problem, I know now, because somebody will tell me, like Pastor Mike, come up, they'll tell me five or six praise reports right before the service, and I'm wanting to tell you, and then I'm going, I know they told me. And then if I start telling them, I've actually combined, you ever combined like three blessings into one, and they're going, that's not how it happened. So I'm afraid to even tell you. I just want you to know, though, there, there's so many awesome things that God is doing in and through uh, your lives as you pray for one another and minister to one another. Um, I want to just say a great big thank you again to our church, you know, for what you did yesterday for the Vasquez family. Uh, there's really no words that can capture, I know, the depth of their love and appreciation when you're going through a hurt like that, uh, the loss of a loved one, to just simply be cared for. Because they can't, you can't remember. I mean, you just know that you're in this fog and you're in a place you don't want to be, but you're just surrounded by people who are just saying, you know, I love you and I care about you and I want to take care of you. And, and uh, that meant so much to them. And so thank you for those of you that could, that you could be there and those of you that prepared food and those that came and served and not just served them, but served our church and set up and clean up. And, and it's like every time I'm here, you're here. And it's uh, very humbling to, to have a congregation uh, as loving as you are, and I just thank the Lord for you. You can give the Lord a clap offering. He's so worthy of praise. You know, I, I, I love when Jason, you know, sends these little video clips because they, he's in tune with the things that I want to try to communicate, and I really appreciate that, just like I do. I, I love our worship team. I love how they pray, and, and, you know, this week was really special. I mean, you know, Matthew would never toot his own horn but I'll toot it for him because uh, Larry was tooting it to me last night to tell me you know, here's Larry was going to be here today and then take off and go do the the graveside service down in Riverside uh, tomorrow but uh, Matthew you know went to him and just said hey Larry you know let, let us let us take it for you you know and and uh, you know let us serve you and that meant so much you know to to Larry I know you can clap again if you want to <laughs> I don't, hey, don't let me stop you from praising, okay? As of the last thing I want to do is stop you from praising. Uh, but, um, you know, like I said, we, we we're just blessed with, with so many of you that um, so openly uh, just love uh, to show his love uh, to other people and to be Jesus' hands and his feet. And, and uh, especially in those painful moments, it's easy when life is victorious, but uh, when you're dealing with hurts and pains, it takes special people uh, to be there, and I'm just blessed. We just have a lot of special people. You know, the, the writer of Hebrews, before we even get into this this morning, I just wanted to share a couple things that, like I said, when Jason picked that, um, that little video clip that, you know, I am his. And, and I know that's John's heart. You know, John wants us to know that, that, that we're his. Remember, you know, I've shared with you, there's kind of four things that he was really grasping at that and wanting to minister to us when he wrote uh, this epistle. And many believe that, that 
you know, the epistles of John were actually the last books of the Bible that were written, more so some believe that it used to be Revelation, but that he actually wrote John the Gospel, then he wrote Revelation, then the epistles. But uh, we know this, it's somewhere around 100 AD. Remember, John was the, one of the pastors there in the church at Ephesus. And, and uh, there's, with Gnosticism, and like I said, not, the Gnostics were those that believed that, you know, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, but that really he, he was, he was here in the spirit and what that ultimately meant and without going into all the details again, you know, of it is that, you know, what we do is we, we worship God intellectually, you know, it's all about knowledge and the people that know the most, you know, are blessed the most. And, you know, you've heard me say this from the pulpit many times with regard to heaven, it's not what you know, amen, it's who you know, right? And that's so true. But the Gnostics believe that the way to, to you know, heaven and enlightenment was was knowledge and, and john talks about knowledge but it's not the knowledge that they're thinking of and so what we have here uh, john like i said is the last and the oldest uh, living apostle it's about ad 100 it's important that you know we get this remember jesus was crucified in ad 33 and resurrected and is at the right hand of the father in heaven and yet we, we see in the book of Revelation that remember when Jesus walks through the churches there uh, in Asia Minor, and he says something about the, in chapter two, I think it's verse four in Revelation, he talks about, he says, but I have this against you, against the church at Ephesus. He said, you've what? You've lost your first love. And so it's important that you understand when John's writing these things to us and he's writing them to the second, you might say, and third generation of believers. Uh, they, they didn't know Jesus personally. They hadn't ever met him. They didn't walk with him. Matter of fact, they didn't even know the apostles apart from John. They hadn't walked with him. So they were getting their faith, you know, from the, like I said, second and third generation. And they had come to the conclusion because of the uh, desire of the Gnostics to really push this agenda that it was all about knowledge that they didn't want the same kind of relationship with God that you might say that their parents had and there's a natural thing that happens I see that you know generation to generation like you know we we know a better way and you know just like within the Roman Empire the problem that the church faced and what it suffered from wasn't persecution and it's important that we understand this as we begin today it wasn't persecution from the outside it was, in the sense, it was the corruption of the heart of those with inside the church. Because it wasn't like somebody came and destroyed the church. It was destroyed from within and it was destroyed because they tried to change it. Instead of taking God at his word and saying, Lord, you said it, that settles it, you know, and therefore like the bumper sticker, I believe it. Well, this generation all of a sudden was going, well, we don't believe that. You know, we start picking and choosing the things that we believe about Scripture, and that's a very dangerous thing. And unfortunately, I know there's people in this church that do the same thing. I'll, I'll talk with some of you, and you go, well, I don't really believe that, but I believe this. We like the parts about salvation by grace, but we don't like personal responsibility, right? You know, it's like, you know, somebody else be Jesus, you know, in this. And so as John was writing, remember, he, he gave us four basic reasons. He said, I write these things. He's always using that word, you know, the phrase, I write these things, or I write to you, little children. He said, I write these things that your joy may be made full there in chapter one. In chapter two, he said, I write these things to you that you may not sin. That's what we talked about last week, right? Then later on, you know, in chapter two, he says, I write these things to you that you would recognize those who are trying to deceive you, the, the Gnostics. 
those that would come along and say, hey, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, you know, that you don't have to be obedient in the flesh. You can just do whatever you feel like, you know, as long as you believe, as long as you believe, that's what's important. And then lastly, you know, he wrote this work, this, this epistle, and it's real important for all of us, is he said, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life in the name, and there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, in the name of who? Jesus, yeah. And so John's going, I'm writing these things to you. And so this morning, as, as we're studying this, you know, I want you to understand that now what he does is he goes back and forth like a good teacher. He's redundant. He's going, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. And he just keeps going back and forth to kind of drive this in. And like I, I was telling you, I, I think this is one of the greatest works that we can study not only as a church but as individuals to really get a grasp of the gospel because it'll help us in ministering to the Gnostics in the world today. Like I said two groups that come to our door frequently the Mormons who would fall into that category and the Jehovah Witness who do not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh that God himself came in human form. They might say Jesus did but then they don't recognize him for who he is. That's, that's Gnosticism. It's just pure Gnosticism here in 2017. And so as I was looking at that, that video clip when, when Jason sent it to me, it reminded me in Hebrews chapter two, the uh, guys don't even have this. I, I'm just sharing this with you. I just wanna read it to you. If you're a note taker, you can write it down. Hebrews chapter two, verses 11 and 12 says, for he, both he sanctified, speaking of Jesus, and they who are sanctified, it says, are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. So we have here that the writer of Hebrews, he, he's declaring something. He's declaring that Jesus is proud of us. He's proud of those that belong to him. And you know, I don't know, you know, I, I love growing up when my mom or dad, for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't often, okay? Uh, but when they, my dad would take me aside and he'd say, honey, I want you to know, I'm really proud of you. You know, I'm really proud of you. My mom would say it all the time, you know, you did anything. You know, it was like, moms are just that way. They're good. You know, but dad, you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta earn it. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't gonna be taken lightly. So I really meant something when my dad said it. He said, man, I'm really proud of you. But I don't know, when was the last time you heard the Lord tell you that? I'm really proud of you. Because he wants you to hear it. And when, I, when Jason sent me that, I was thinking, man, there's something today that, that you would hear from God that he's proud of you. And, you, and you. and most of us would sit here today and you go, oh, Pastor Mike, you don't, you don't even, you don't know me. You don't know the sin that's in my life. And that isn't the issue. Because John maps out how we can experience that joy. That's what he wants us to know today. So you can experience that joy. He says, I, I write these things to you that your, your joy may be made full. He wants God's joy in your life to be made full. And you go, how do we go about doing that? Remember, and he, so he started, he said, well, first and foremost, in verse 4, and we'll read this here together, is, again, and I want you to, and if you would, just stand with me this morning. Let, let's read this. We'll read the entire thing. We'll read verses 3 through 11 here in uh, chapter 2. Then we'll just go back. So it started in verse, in, in verse 3 there, 1 John chapter 2. It says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
And that's where we start not feeling very proud, right? You go, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. You go, oh, man, but I don't keep the word of God. It says, by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. It says, brethren, I write to you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And let, let's take a moment here and pray. Father God, we, we do thank you so much for your word and we pray that, Lord, you would minister to us, uh, Lord, today, that you would drive home the truths that, Lord, you want us, Lord, to understand and grow in. That, Lord, we would know today the joy of our salvation, as John would write. I write these things to you that you would know that you have eternal life. And we'd know that we have eternal life because, Lord, we're walking in the light as you yourself are in the light. And, Lord, we're being cleansed from our sin. Because we're being cleansed from our sin, Lord, it has less of a hold on us. And, Lord, we're loving the things that you love and learning to hate the things that you hate. And one of the things that we know that you love is your bride, that you love the church. And, Lord, that means that we have growing love one for another. Lord, that's how we know. That's the, the proof that's in the pudding, so to speak. And so, Lord, give us that kind of love for you and for one another today. May we be able to say that I am walking as Jesus himself is walking because Jesus is in me and I'm in him. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do. Thank you that we can say, I am his today, Lord. And thank you that, Lord, we don't need to be ashamed because, Lord, as you've declared in your word that you're not ashamed of us, Lord. You're proud, Lord, to call us your own. Lord, may we grow in that understanding. May we see ourselves, Lord, the way that you see us today because, Lord, that will change everything. And so, Lord, we give you today we give you our lives afresh and pray that, Lord, we would not be conformed to this world any longer, but, Lord, even today, we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And again, all those who agreed said amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, so the, like I said, in that video clip, and as I was looking at this this morning, you know, so Jesus sees us, you could say, potentially, right? He doesn't see you in your present flaws and, and all the, you know, hiccups and all the you know little idiosyncrasies of our lives he sees us perfectly today and, and that's important that you know that we understand that you know he sees us prophetically right I mean you think about how does Jesus see us prophetically because he sees us what already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that that's so important in setting us free today that Jesus when he's looking at me and he's looking at you he's not looking at your past he's really not even looking at your future he's looking at the finished work of what he's going to accomplish in your life and with that then that should bring you joy because he who began a good work is what I tell you all the time, he's faithful to complete that work. He started it. If you will allow him, he will complete that work in us. So we can say that he sees us prophetically, but he also sees us, like I said, uh, positionally. 
You know, and how does he see us positionally? He sees us, we're robed in his righteousness. I mean, think about that today. If you went to God right now and you confess your deepest, darkest sin that you've never confessed before, you know what God would do? He'd go, oh, no, what would he do? He, he told us in, in chapter one, if, if we confess our sin, what does, he, what does he say that he'll do? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to do what? To forgive us our sin and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the thing. If you and I confessed our deepest, darkest sin today and five minutes later we go back to God and we go, God, I wanted to talk to you some more about the sin I just confessed to you. He'd be going, what sin? What, what sin are you talking about? Because the psalmist declared, as far as the east is from the west, he's forgiven us our sin, and he what? He remembers it no more. See, our problem is we know how we think, even as Christians, right? We know how we treat people. We, we know, in the truest sense, we, ju- we are so harsh. We judge other people because we judge them by what? We walk by, not by faith when it comes to, we walk by sight, right? So we're, we're judging their fruit. We call it fruit of their life. We don't, we don't. Like I said, a critical spirit is not a gift of the Holy Spirit, but so many have been blessed with it, you know, if that's, uh, you know. But you go, what do they do? Because we look at other people's sin, you know, and we get so frustrated when other people judge us, right? You know, so wrong because when I look at you, I judge you according to your actions. But when I judge myself, I judge myself, and you judge yourself by what? Our intentions. See, I, I know my heart is good, you know. And you can't see it, but my heart isn't good. If I could show it to you, I got pictures of it. It's not good, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's it's bad, you know. Um, it's better, but it's still bad, you know. So it's really sad when you go to the doctor and they said, "Yeah, if you live a normal life, that's going to kill you." Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you know. Okay, thank you. You know. But he sees us positionally because he sees us robed in his righteousness. We're, we have been in again Christianese justified, right? Just as if I'd never sinned. To have that kind of understanding today, to know that in Jesus, you know, we, like I said, are free in Him. And so I love that. You know, when Jason pulled that up, it just it meant so much to me personally because that's what John is wanting to communicate. You're his. If you're in Christ today, you belong to God. And you're secure in him. One of the, the great blessings I have, you know, when I do a memorial, I got to hear it again today as a praise report. You know, uh, you, know you, you hear this, hey, it's four years ago today, you know, that someone in our church, you know, lost, lost a dad. And at the memorial service, you know, I'd, I'd shared then, I'd shared usually every memorial service. I said, you know, if you're a believer today, you're, you're not saying goodbye. You're saying, hey, I'll see you soon. And there's something comforting. That's what, that's what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, to comfort one another with these words, because there's a day coming when, right, the trumpet's going to be sounded, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us who remain are going to be caught up to be with Jesus in the air forever. Again, so we have a hope. Does it, is there a sting of death? Absolutely, and it hurts. It's so painful. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis would say, you know, why love if it hurts so much? Because, the, because of sin in the world, there's a pain that comes with it when you suffer that loss. We weren't created for, for death. We were created for life. Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. But we're going to experience it in this life. So to be there, to be the body of Christ. Jesus loves the church. He loves you. 
And he wants you to have that same kind of love. See, again, the, the church there in John's day, when he writes this epistle there in Ephesus, they, they had moved away from God. They, all of a sudden it became, you know, philosophical. It was no longer biblical. And so the danger, like I said, wasn't persecution. It was change. They were changing the word of God. And that's what John writes us. He goes, so I'm writing these things to you. When men come in and they try to deceive you that it's some other way than Jesus Christ and him alone. He goes, man, stop listening at that point because there is no other way. There is no one else coming. Jesus is God's final word to this world. And Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. And he goes, and I want you to know that, you know, as I shared with you last week, you go, you, you, can you have victory over sin? And you go, absolutely you can. You go, why? Because as we read in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, because we have an advocate with the Father. You've got a helper. You don't just have the Holy Spirit. You've got Jesus in heaven. You go, and he's in heaven and he's going before the Father every time you sin. And some of us are going, he, he's there a lot, you know, I mean, he, and you go and praise God that you have an attorney, you have an advocate, you have a helper, but he's also in that big word again, you know, in, in verse two there, your propitiation, that he satisfied his sacrifice on the cross, satisfied the wrath of God that was against me and you so that we could now enjoy fellowship with God. But see, we have a conscience, we have a memory that works against us. We have, as Revelation says, we have an accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, that he goes not with lies, but truth before the very throne of God. He says, man, do you see what Mike did today? See what Mike does every day? And you love him, and you know what? And what does Jesus do? He steps in, and he goes, he's mine. Why? Because of his perfect, remember, it was Jesus the righteous, right? The righteous, the perfect. I mean, he's not a crooked attorney, man. He is the righteous one. Not only is he perfect in all of his ways, but he will offer himself as the payment for our bail so that we can go free. And that should have an impact in our life. Like I shared with you, you know, many times, you know, when I, the first time I ever heard Damien Kyle say this, it was so profound. He said, the most difficult thing to do in this world is to sin against love. And that's what happens when you and I grow. And that's why we need to grow in the understanding of who Jesus is. Because when you realize how much he loves you and what he's done for you, you don't want to sin against him. It's a love relationship. See, when we talk about the church, we talk about what is bride. I love my wife. I, I love my wife uh, so much that I would give my life for my wife. And she knows that. I mean, I've signed stuff for insurance papers. I sign stuff all the time. It's like, honey, you know... At, there's nothing more that in this life, if I could do one thing and do one thing well, is to make sure that you know that you are loved. It is, the, it is a dominant thought. It wasn't always that way, okay? <laughs> Trust me. You know, it's like divorce, like Billy Graham, wasn't ever an option in our life, but murder was. You know, it was like, you know, it was like, no, we'll never get divorced. I might kill him, you know, but, uh, but I'll never divorce him. But, um, but I, I love this because as I'm studying through this, it, you, you really start to see, especially in chapter 2, why he talks so much about, you know, loving the brethren. Because this is, this is Jesus' bride, okay, the church, you and I. And he, and he wants us to have such a love that the world would look at us and they'd go, I want that. It's just like if you're a married couple and you see a happily married couple that really loves and serves one another, single, married alike, you go, I want a marriage like that. 
I, I want a relationship like that. Well, the world should be looking at the church, the bride of Jesus, and going, I want what they've got. And they can have what you and I have because God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That they too could look today and go, I am his. That you, that you would have this confidence that God chose you. I mean, it's one thing to be wanted, right? Another thing to be needed. But man, to be chosen? I mean, to think about that. If you thought long on that, that you were chosen by God, you were chosen. You're here today. You are saved in the body of Christ today, not because you first loved him, but because he first loved you and he chose you. And that, that should be overwhelming to us. And so John, he's writing these things. He says, I write this so that your joy may be made full. And you go, what is the joy? How can we experience that joy? And he tells us there in verse 4, he says, well, he begins, he says, that you would walk in the light as he himself is in the light, right? So you have this invitation to come into relationship with God. If you want joy in your life, I've shared this with you, hopefully you never get tired of it, is joy is found in Jesus, right? happiness is in your happenings you know get a new car get a new truck get a new whatever you know and you'll be happy for a little bit right but it's going to pass away and then you got to get the new and you know this, that's the way of the world so the world does experience happiness but it's at a price but jesus paid the price for our joy you know mike butler uh, was telling about a guy a couple weeks ago i was out of pocket and, and couldn't be in two places at one time and i said mike can you go to the hospital for me there's a, a family there that's in need. A guy was in a car accident. So Mike went up there. Uh, the guy was driving a vehicle, got in an accident, flipped it. His passenger was one of his best friends, was killed. The guy had his arm amputated. He was laying there in the bed, and he was praising Jesus. Mike said it was the most humbling thing. He said, I, I, it was like you're in the presence of God, the visitation of God in that moment. He said, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, oh, you know, I, I killed my friend, you know, it's like this thing, you know, which he could have. He could have went down that road. He had to make a choice. He said, oh, my arm, what am I going to do? You know, he's like, yeah, I was trying to lose some weight. I didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah, that's like 10 pounds. Well, it's like, wow, you know, in a day, you know, and, and they're going, oh, part of it's, you know, the drugs. You go, but hey, no, but when the cup gets bumped in life, whatever's in your cup is coming out, amen? Yeah, and some of us are going, and yeah, it ain't pretty. But garbage in, what? Garbage out. Jesus in, Jesus out, you know, type of thing. And so, it, and it was one of those things where you're going, Wow, John's going, I want you to experience this. I want your joy to be made full. And if you come into fellowship with him, he's going, again, we, your parents told you this, right? They said, bad company does what? So they ever warn you? By show of hands, did your family ever warn you about hanging around with somebody? Are they in this building? No, I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they did because they love you and they cared about it. They go, you can't hang around them because, man, they're, you know, they're like the devil incarnate, you know, they're, they're going to take you down. So get away from them. But so God's going, I want you to have joy and, and joy is in Jesus. And, and it doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And as Christians, we can be so at times ashamed of ourselves because our joy is so, you know, it's not really joy, it's happiness. We're just moved by everything. But we claim we're so, you know, and God's going, I want you to be solid. And you'll be solid as what? As you walk in the light as I'm in the light. That's what he's saying. I, I'm, I'm that light, and his life is the light of men. And when you let him in, he goes, that, that's the first step of joy. The second thing is, when you let 
God into your life, guess what? When you're in that beautiful light, that light's going to reveal the sin that's in your life. And, and don't run from God. Remember I shared with you, condemnation, the devil brings condemnation. Whenever you feel condemned about your sin, you're going to run away from God. That's not God, okay? When God's working in your life, you're going to feel conviction. It's still going to be painful because it's true and it's honest. But that conviction, when it's of God, it'll draw you to him. And the first thing that you're wanting to do is confess it as sin. And when you confess it as sin, guess what? He will wash you and he will cleanse you. And you go, and how do we know that? And you go, because we went to chapter 2 last week and he told us. And he said, because you have an advocate with the Father. You've got an attorney. And, you, and, and he's your propitiation. He not only got you off, he paid the fine. He took it all for you. So that what now? So that we could move forward from there. And so he goes, so if you want to experience the fullness of joy, and that's what he's wanting to do. He wants us to know that we're his, that we belong to him. And, and so as he, as he was walking us through this, like I said, it, it's one of these things that it's, it's so beautiful when you start to see it because it brings you to a place where all of a sudden you start to go, wow, <laughs> you know, what's happening in my life? You know, I realize I am forgiven. I've confessed my sin. You can walk away clean. That Jesus took it to the Father and he said, you know, it's done. It's over with. It's dealt with. And like I said, if I went back five minutes later, he'd go, what, what are you talking about? And we, we just have a, such a difficult time comprehending that because of our own mind, even as believers. And he's going, but I want you to know, my ways are not your ways. And that's why we worship him and we don't worship one another. Amen. You know, he and he alone is worthy to be praised. And he says there in verse 3, he says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, right? And that word know there in the Greek language, it's the word gnosko, okay? So again, understand this. The word gnosko, what it means is knowledge by experience. Knowledge by experience. And that's different. See, the Gnostics were trying to bring knowledge by what? Academia. It was just head knowledge, right? The knowledge that Jesus wants you and I to have is not head knowledge. He wants, well, he, he likes that we know his word, but what he wants us to, the word to do is to bring us to a place of experiential knowledge, that you're experiencing Jesus in your life, that you are aware that he is with you. And as Romans 8 declares, and nothing, church, what? Absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You go, why? And you go, because he's in you. Wherever you go, he's there. I mean, that is such an amazing thing when we start to understand that love. That, that you know, I mean, you think about what God has done. The depth that he has gone to, to provide confidence in our life and security in our life. And he's not speaking of the Ten Commandments here. He's speaking of all the commandments, everything is like, whatever I would tell you to do, you know, do the littlest thing, the greatest thing, you know, and again, understand this, you know, this is a love relationship. The word gnosko means to know 
as a man knows his wife face to face. Now, that can be sexually in marriage, but with God, it just means intimately, that we would have an intimate, personal relationship with God, that it wouldn't be just a church relationship, it just wouldn't be a Bible study where you're just reading something intellectually and it's just going one ear and out the other, but that you're experiencing the presence of God in your life. You are aware that he is with you. Like I said, I, I was cracking up, you know, coming down the, the road to the church. I ride my bike a few times a week to the office early in the morning for prayer and a group on Tuesday mornings. And, and I'd been praying, you know, about the, the trees because the street sweepers can't go under the trees. They have to, you know, go out like this, like they do for cars. And there's always glass underneath the trees. And I was getting frustrated with the people that break bottles. And so I was having to just pray. And I was, I mean, I was having joy in my heart because I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I've moved from wanting you to eradicate them from the face of the earth like the Amalekites. You know, I have to keep it biblical. Um, so to just bless them, like, Lord, just bless them that they don't feel this need to like throw their trash, you know, out and, and you know, I end up popping a tire, you know, driving down the road. And so I'm, I'm praying this now for weeks. And I'm just like, every time the glass would be there, Jesus, just you know, bless that person who did that. They don't need to do that, you know. And, and I'm having joy in my heart because I'm, I know I'm experiencing a transformation because you, you don't want to know what the other part of it. It just goes far away the other way and you get a glimpse, okay? And so I'm going down the road. And so then we had that, that miniature storm, right, that happened. So I'm coming down there on Tuesday morning and I'm coming down the, the, the road and the trees are falled over. The, the, the tree's gone. It's not like blocking the street sweeper anymore. And I started laughing. I was like, Lord, I didn't say knock the tree out of the ground. And it was just, and it wasn't that God did it. It was just, it was like having this fun time with the Lord as I was riding my bike along. And then I got to the next one and it wasn't the tree gone. It was just a limb that was gone. And so I was laughing even more. I go, yeah, Lord, that was more like what I was thinking of. Just take a couple limbs off, you know, and the street sweeper could go through there. And, it, and God didn't say that, okay? But it was that sense that was the, the awareness of his presence and just the goodness of God that, wait, was it beyond God? I didn't try to like dove into, well, God, did, did you like rip the tree out, you know? And like God go, Mike, be careful what you pray for. You know, so then, I, then I'd feel bad all day long. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I just wanted the street sweeper to be able to clean. I didn't say yank the tree out of the ground and now I feel terrible. Now I got to go to the city and, and give him money for a new tree. You know, that's where the devil would come in, right? So all of a sudden you're going, oh, man. But to have that kind of relationship where we, we are in an experience-based relationship with God. And like I said, what will it lead to? It'll lead to obedience to the Lord. And again, you know, verse 4, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, the Gnostics are proof that you can know everything about God but not know God. You can still miss heaven. Like I said, you know, the difference between heaven and hell might be 18 inches, right, from the distance between your head and your heart. Because the Bible says we believe in our heart and we profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's the complete package. We love him with our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength. And again, it's loving him completely with everything that we have. Luke 6, 46 says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Because remember, the false teachers, they just come along and go, hey, it doesn't matter how you live. And people tell that in the church, it doesn't matter how you live. The Bible says without holiness, we won't see God. And you go, well, why would he say that? And you go, because we can become holy. Whole means complete. It didn't mean that we were perfect. It means that we become complete because we're already perfect in him. 
We have perfect righteousness, not because of our perfection, but because of his, amen? But we can walk in that, and we can, we can progress ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul, you know, writing to Timothy regarding the last days and these teachers that would rise up, he says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, he says, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You know, it's not salvation by works, but works because of salvation. See, you don't earn your way to heaven. We don't deserve heaven. It's a gift, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of works which any man can boast. It's the gift of God. You can reject it, you can receive it, but you can't earn it. You know? It's important that we get that. Verse 5 goes on, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. See, our lives get to become a love song, you might say to God. Our worship, it's our worship that can't be silenced, our life. The way that we live our lives before the Lord. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews, it says, who believed in me, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's the word abide. See, he's calling us into a relationship where we, you know, it's like in marriage, we say, leave and cleave, right? To cleave unto your wife, and the two shall become one. Abide is along those same lines. The word abide means to be settled, is to be settled into. It's kind of like, you know, did you ever get a box of cereal when you were a kid and you opened it up and there was like, you were like, where did all the cereal go? And you were the first person that opened it because you looked on the box and it says, this box is sold by what? Weight, not by volume, right? But as a kid, you're looking at volume, right? Because you're looking at the box. You're going, oh, man, this is Captain Crunch. This is a big box. Because they were the first guys that did it, and I still have issues with that. And, you know, but you opened it up and it was just a little bit of Captain Crunch in the thing. You know, so you, you think about, you know, what it means abide, it means settle. It's shaken down, it's settled, and it's not going to be moved. Are you settled in your relationship with God today? That's, that's what it means to abide. And Jesus says, if you're settled with me, he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, he says, ask whatever you desire and it'll be given unto you. Because that, it's settled. It's not, oh, God, if you do this for me, that's people, they make deals with God, right? God, if you would do this, then I'll do this. Oh, yeah. Man, how quick that, that comes to pass and it goes. But it's a great question to ask ourselves today. Is my relationship with Jesus really settled? What would it take for you to walk away? And usually it's not pain that causes people to walk away. It's pleasure. I was sharing this, you know, on Wednesday night. You know, when we're poor, we're in a place of, you know, I mean, we're desperate, right? So we're going, God. You know, I can't, I can't do this without you. I need you, you know. I'll die, I'll starve without you. But man, when you have a lot, and it's an amazing thing. That's why the Bible speaks so much about wealth. Because it says it's easier for what? For a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you go, why? And you go, because you don't recognize your need. So when you see people with wealth who love Jesus, there really is no greater statement to make. Because what they're saying is, Jesus... I love you with everything that I have. And there's nothing that I really want more than, than you. And so when I have stuff, it's just stuff. And I give and we do because that's not what is the measuring stick of my relationship. Like I said, Ron Blue is a financial planner, said it best years ago. He said, you know, my wife and I, we measure the success of our year by not how much money we make, but by how much money we give away. That's the true measure of, of, of grace living. It's not what we get, but it's what we give. 
Well, it's the same thing for our lives. Is that, you know, we're not going to outgive God, but it's giving God our life, giving him control. Again, being able to say, as verse 6 says, he who says he abides in him, look at this verse. This is so profound. It says, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. What is that saying? He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we should be going back and reading the gospel accounts, right? And going, how did Jesus walk when he was on the earth? However he walked, that's what we should be wanting to do too, right? And that was the problem that the church was facing because Jesus said, you know, Matthew 24, he tells us that, you know, again, if we're walking like he walked in this world, he says, people are going to hate you. He said, they hated me before they hated you, but they're going to hate you, okay? It's, it's inevitable. And so people go, huh, we don't want that. So you start to change, and that's what the Gnostics began to do. You know, again, it wasn't persecution. It was then you start changing the word of God. You start making it fit your life and your lifestyle. You, you kind of, you see what you want to see in scripture. Isn't it amazing how we can do that? You know, we can just extrapolate one scripture out of context and man it just seems to then we we hopscotch over a whole bunch of other ones but we know this Jesus walked in complete surrender to the father John 4 34 says Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work it wasn't about him and I find myself you know when I wake up every day you go am I saying Lord you know the Lord's prayer you know Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, help me to live today on earth in the same activity that's going on in heaven. Let that be worshipful. Let it be magnifying of you and all that you are. The attitudes of my heart, the meditations of my heart, the things that I speak, the things that I receive into my body, the things that I do. Does it is it glorifying you? Because that's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you know, so if we, if we love the Lord, in verse 6 there, he who says he abides, who settled in their relationship with God, himself also ought to walk just as he walked. That we would go, Lord, I just want to do the things that you do. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 33, he said, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. That was his intent. I mean, he wanted men and women to be saved. So he's going, I'm seeking to please them. I want to do something to, to reach them. So John writes, he says, but brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And that was to do what? was to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, right? And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in the, in the Old Testament, there was all kinds of laws, right? You know, go the extra mile, you know? And then when Jesus came on the scene, what did he do? He, he, didn't, he didn't look like the law. He looked like God because he was God. He is God. This was the word became flesh. It was personified. So it became, in a sense, this new commandment was to love like Jesus loved. And again, it wasn't going, how do I get out of doing things? That's what the, the Jews were notorious for when they looked at the law. It wasn't, what do I do? It was, what, what's the least I can do? And Jesus is going, man, this is a whole, no, it's about laying your life down so that others can live. And so here's this beautiful picture again. Again, what is the, what is the body of Christ? It's the bride of Christ. 
And what did Jesus do for his bride? He died for her. So then we have this relationship in marriage, the pinnacle of human relationship, that you'd go then, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he washed her with his words. You go, that, that's how Jesus would walk. And wives, submit unto your husbands and love them, respect them, and give, render them the affection that they're due. And you go, man, if we just did those two things as, as believers in marriage, you go, man, the world would sit up and take notice. But, it, but is, the, is the church influencing the world or is the world influencing the church? And I think most of us would say that the world has way too much influence on what goes on in the life of a church today. And we're changing, you know, not here per se, but, you know, it can be people that are here changing the truth of God into a lie. Because God has a standard, and it's a high standard. I mean, to be called saints. Do you know that you're, you're a saint? Do you know that? You are, you are a saint. I remember the first time I heard that in the Bible, I said, you're a saint. Because I was raised Catholic. I was like, yes, yes. I, and, and I could now wear my Saint Michael, Chris, you know, I, and... It was like I could wear that and I could, I, could be, I could be a saint. I just didn't have to go through all the, the stuff that they had to go through in the Catholic Church because God said I was a saint. And he says that you're a saint because he's the one that sanctifies us. He's the one who washes us. He's the one who cleanses us. And he's going, then live like it. He invites us into that relationship. Verses 8 through 11 goes on. It says, and again, a new commandment I write to you. Does it seem like, you know, here's John, he's, you know, he's, he's an old guy. He just said, no new commandment, I tell you. Have you ever talked to like an older, well, you could talk to a younger person. Heck, you talk to me, I could do that. I do do that. You know, hey, I don't have any new commandments for you. Then turn right around and go, hey, I have a new commandment for you. And go, he, didn't he just say he didn't have a, a new commandment? He just told us a new commandment. He says, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. See, because again, what were they doing? They were changing the truth of God into a lie. They were saying that it was okay to hate somebody. We know what that's like. Do you remember what it was like to not be a Christian? Was hatred okay? Because some believe in the church that hatred is still okay to hate people. And Jesus is going, no, that's how it was in the Old Testament. That was the law. But here, Jesus said, you'll do what? No, he said, I don't say hate your enemies, but what? Love your enemies. Do good to them. And you go, why? Because we were all enemies of the cross. And what did Jesus do for me and you? He died in my place. And the Bible says the kindness of God is what leads a man to repentance. The love of God. That he took my place, he took your place. But man, we, we, you know, we're, <laughs> when something happens to us, we want a pound of flesh, man. I mean, we want it, and we want it now because we judge other people by their actions again, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And guess what? God judges both. He knows the intent of our heart. He knows our actions. It says, he who says he's in the light in verse 9 and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And John is speaking about this lack of love in the body of Christ. Like I said, they were far removed from who Jesus was. Jesus just blew everybody out of the water with the way that he loved people. I mean, imagine a, a, a woman caught in adultery. 
naked before Jesus there. And Jesus, you know, deals with the sin of her accusers and then stands her up and says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, I have none. And he said, and I accuse you not. Go and sin no more. People saw that. Wow. A woman sitting at a well, ostracized by her community, has to go out there at 12 o'clock noon because nobody wants to talk to you. You ever committed a sin and felt like, you know what, you were having to go out and get water at 12 o'clock because nobody wanted to go out with you at sunrise? They didn't want you around in the cool of the day, so you had to go by yourself. And Jesus goes, I must go through Samaria. And he goes way out of his way to find this woman here. And he's, hey, he says, can you give me a drink? And she's on, you know, you, a Jew, are having a conversation with a Samaritan. She's like, she's saying, you guys hate us. You hate us. And Jesus got, man, if you knew who it was who asked you for water, you'd ask him for living water. If we just, guys, if we could scratch the surface of how much God loves us. And then that love, again, something happens within us. They go, I can't be perfect, you know, Pastor Mike. I'm not talking about perfection because Jesus isn't talking about us being perfect. He's perfect. We're not. But we can aim for it. We can strive for it. Like I said, love relationships are the sweetest thing to look at, especially in a marriage. And I remember when, you know, Lee and I were dating and then we got engaged. I mean, I couldn't wait to see her every day. I still can't wait to see her every day. I still love to talk to her every day. I still want to know how her day went. I still want to know what she you know, experienced at work that day. Even if it's the same thing, it doesn't make any difference. Because I live with an awareness in my life that I didn't used to live with. That, you know what, I don't know how many days I have left with her. This could be the last day. And I want it in her life, in my life, I want it to be a good day. I, I know that there's going to come a day, like I said, you get older and you deal and you do a lot more memorial services and stuff and you go, that day is going to come. So I'm a lot more aware and in tune to, you know, what her needs are in this life. I, I love to know uh, the things that please her. Uh, you know, we have more hobbies and interests and things in life more in common today than we ever did in our life. And, and I love that. It's that part of that process of growing in oneness. And so I understand what John is saying. He's going, you know, when you have that kind of relationship, that's the body of Christ. We should have that. You are the bride of Christ. With the same things that I'm saying about my wife, we should be saying about one another. And you look at what happens in the church today. The lack of love that is shown. It's not because, you know, persecution. Again, we're changing the truth of God into a lie. That instead of, you know, love does what? If, if God called you out on every time that you sinned, where would we be today? It says, but love covers what? It doesn't mean that, you know, again, that God winks at it and says that it does. No, if there's an issue, what does God by the Holy Spirit do? Is he comes and he brings conviction into our life. Unto what? Repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And we turn from it, we turn to God. And if you see somebody in sin, what should you do? If you love them, my wife knows all my sins. And if she wanted, she could hang me out to dry. The Bible says they were naked and they weren't ashamed. She knows everything about me. And that's the beauty of being in a love relationship. Because what does she do? Love covers a multitude of sin. Does that mean that I get away with it? No. Because that sin robs us of the intimacy that we could otherwise enjoy in our marriage relationship. That transparency that God wants us to enjoy. So when you deal with it, what does it do? It brings you into the light. It brings you into the sweetness of fellowship. 
but he wants us to know that you and I, we are the bride of Christ. And he's going, handle my bride carefully. Talk to her tenderly. You know, be concerned about her. Know her. You know, it's like the Song of Solomon. I love that. You know, in Solomon of the Shulamite. Man, you talk about romance. Because I've studied you. You know, I study my wife. I, I am so much attuned to her today than more than I've ever been in my entire life. And I love it. And it takes effort. It's not easy because I'm selfish. I like when the world revolves around me. And part of what marriage does is it gives me an opportunity to die to myself and to live to her and, and to see the, the pleasure and the blessing and to do it deliberately knowing, guess what? There's going to come a day when I'm not going to be able to do that. And I don't want to miss the opportunity. And that's what John is saying. Live your life that way. You know, I end with this. You know, one of the things that, like I said, is we've got to ask ourselves as we close today. And I hope that, you know, in your heart of hearts, you can say this. Do you love the church? Because if you don't, you know, what I really want to do is I'd want to encourage you, you know, then be prayerful about finding a church that you love. Because when you don't love the church and you don't love the people that are in it, they go, then what's going to happen is you're going to have dissension. You're going to have bickering and backbiting and complaining but um, when you're in love I mean you talk about that you know and if you've ever fallen in love it didn't matter what was going on in the world did it because you were in love and you and like I said and I challenge people all the time in premarital like hey go to a go to a restaurant and sit down and you come back and tell me can you tell me the people who are in love in a restaurant versus the people who've been around each other for a lot of years you know the church at Ephesus you've lost your first love you know, when you, when you first fell in love, you know, what were you doing? You were sitting across the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most, most guys, we don't say much, right, in the sense of, you know, sometimes you know, women have to go, are you listening to me? Because we don't go, because uh, if you talk to a woman, what does she do? Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Guys were like, Are you listening? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in. You know, and, and then, like I said, then, you know, 20 years later, what do you see? You know, I saw a quote last week that said, love thy neighbor like, their, like your cell phone. Yeah. Let's just end with that. Um, no, I want to end with this. And I love this. You know, J. Vernon McGee, he said this. He said, the high standards of Christianity made the Christians different. And the children and the grandchildren of the first Christians didn't want to be different. The believers there, they didn't understand this, this word. In the Greek language, it's the word hagios. And the primary intent of this word hagios, I want you to understand this today, you know, as we close. It means set aside for the sole use of God. Set aside for the sole use of God that which belongs to God. I want you to know that. God chose you. This is a marriage, okay? He chose you. And you said yes to him if you're in Christ today. And you belong to him. And you're his responsibility. In the same way that I told my wife, you know, honey, I'm better off dead than I am alive, okay? Just know that. But, but you're going to be taken care of, you know? And if it takes my life to do that, that's okay, that, that's perfectly fine. If that is what needed to take place for you to have life, I would, I love you so much, I would give my life 
for you. And Jesus is, didn't just say it, he did it. And three days later, he rose again from the dead so that we could understand that kind of love. And he chose you, and he set you aside. Not set you aside, he set you aside for his use. You remember the, the pots and the pans in the temple? They were just pots and pans, right? But why were they considered holy things? If they were just pots and pans that were used in the sacrificial system in the temple, they were called holy things. What made them holy? Think about that. They only were holy because what they were used for, right? They were just pots and pans. We're just pots and pans here today, you might say. But when we are understanding God chose you, he's chosen you, receive that today. That little video clip that we played when we first started, that wasn't just to be a filler, that you could say as you walk out of here today, I am his. You belong to God. He has set you aside for his use, and that makes you holy. You go, I don't feel holy. It doesn't make any difference. You are because he called you. He made you. He has set you aside. Don't fight him. Let him. Let him work in you. Don't, don't resist the things that he's leading you to do. You know, allow yourself to be the bride of Christ. And then as you minister to others that are around you, see them, not through the eyes of our flesh, but see them through the eyes of faith. See them positionally. See them prophetically, you know, in Christ. See, see them the way that Jesus sees them. And then what can we do towards one another? Love covers a multitude of sin. Because I realize God's working in you just like I'm wanting God to work in me. And we give one another a break. That doesn't mean, like I said, we don't wink at sin. We don't let it go. But if there is a problem, you go, you go to that person. And you go to them alone. And I've watched through the years and been part of myself so many things that, man, are so destructive and so detrimental to what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so you learn valuable lessons along the way. And thank God for his mercy and for his grace. But hopefully, you know, I'm getting old enough like John and you can look at it and you go, hey, I write these things to you little children so that you know, that you know that your sins are forgiven, you know, that you can know that you have eternal life all because of Jesus, amen? And that he becomes the most important thing in our life. And as he does, we don't want to sin. Sin, yeah, it has a temporal pleasure. But man, the, the end result of it, the wages of sin is what? It's death. You go, it's just not worth it. You start to realize, you know, it's not worth it. We come to our senses and we realize we've been set apart. You've been set apart for, for, for God. Let him use your life. Let him use you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you so much for, Lord, just as we study through this text, that God, you teach us so much about who you are, your character, your nature, Lord, your unchanging ways. And May each and every heart today, Lord, leave this place with an awareness that, Lord, we have an ability to abide in you. We can settle ourselves in you. We can draw close to you knowing you'll draw close to us. We can know that our sins are forgiven each and every time that we confess our sins to you, that you not only forgive them, but you forget them. And that, Lord, we can know, Lord, even though we continue to fail, God, we can know that we have eternal life today because, Lord, it's not based on our perfection. It's based upon yours. 
And it's in the knowledge as we continue to grow in that relationship, not just book knowledge, but in a personal relationship with you, gnosko, experiential knowledge, that knowledge that we wake up tomorrow and we go, Lord, your mercies are new this morning. Thank you for that. And Lord, lead me today. Lead me to people that you want me to, to minister to. Make me aware. Lord, help me to not be so selfish and so caught up in my own agenda and my own ways that I miss all the God-given opportunities that are around me today to love people in your name. And then, Lord, give me the means. Give me the awareness. Give me the strength. Give me the ability. That's what it is to abide, Lord. Help us each to abide in you and to know that, Lord, we can experience hagios then tomorrow. We've been set aside for you. God, use our lives for your glory. Lord, we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And again, all those who agreed said amen, amen. Well, church, we'll have you stand to your feet. We'll send you out with song today. If you need prayer for anything, just you know, grab